The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. We've got a sorry situation on our hands right now. We talked about this on this program late last year and now it's happened. The kidnapping of 24 baby elephants in Zimbabwe being sold to China. Ripped from their wild families to live a life of captivity in Chinese zoos. And God only knows what will happen to them there. As we see across the news that both China and Africa turn to commodifying wildlife as a resource. To talk about this and the ultimate need for a shift of humanity from a benchmark that is defined by money to one that is defined by the health of our world, my guest today is Nick Lynch. Welcome, Nick. Hey, how are you doing, Annie? I'm doing well. So we've recently been chatting and uh, you put a post on Facebook that was just an astonishing piece of writing that lays it on the line and finally somebody is speaking up. So um, during it, the, the show, we'll point our listeners to the, your Facebook page, Nick Lynch, and definitely read this post, which is a, a heartbreaking story of elephants, the Zimbabwe definition. And um, before we get into that, let's just get a little bit of background about you. You come from family generations, raised in old and new Africa. That's a big part of our conversation today. You were born in Zambia and lived in Zimbabwe, knowing the country like the back of your hand. So let's talk about this debacle, the elephants, and give us a little bit about you. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I come from uh, a family with uh, a fairly liberal background. My father was involved in, in politics in his own way. My dad used to work in Sir Roy Walensky's government uh, in northern Rhodesia before um, before I was born. And then uh, he moved my mother and I over to Rhodesia um, in the early 70s, where I've spent most of my life in Zimbabwe. Rhodesia, of course, became Zimbabwe in 1980. And um, my father was... Uh, very much involved with um, communicating Britain's position to the liberation movement and uh, vice versa. Um, I suppose there would be Rhodesians who would categorize him as a traitor in some way, um, but uh, my father didn't view it that way. He had his own ideas about uh, black majority rule. 
And so uh, I grew up in a very liberal kind of um, uh, household and uh, not necessarily always agreeing with my father politically. Um, but as a result of that, I've, uh, I've had a lot of experience um, with Zimbabwean affairs. Um, for my, my, my one greatest first passion in, in, in life, I suppose, would be, would be safaris. I view safari as uh, my cultural heritage. It's a tradition. It's an art. I don't view it as just a commercial game. And um, I take it quite seriously. Um, well, the towards genuine the end, meaning, let me just jump in here a second. The genuine meaning please. of safari is it's Swahili for journey. Yes. And you're living in Australia now. That's one reason we can have this conversation. Um, mm. And it's like the Australian version of walkabout. It's Indeed. not about being insulated in a lodge in a five-star camp and running across the surface, seeing the big five and snapping a shot. It's about yeah. an internal interior journey and reconnecting. Yes, absolutely. Look, I, I mean, I've done, I've done the, whole, the whole sequence of it. I, I have a personal love for mobile safaris, which I've conducted in Australia as well as in Africa. I've done Zimbabwe, Zambia, Botswana and uh, with clients, but I've also ended up um, uh, as a, a general manager for a semi-luxury safari lodge on the Zambezi outside of Livingston. And uh, further to that, I've also worked in, uh, in merchant banking in Zimbabwe, where I also evaluated tourism project proposals and, uh, and that kind of thing. So and you then, really come uh, at this from all sides of the equation, you know, not only a personal passion, but, you know, from a financial perspective, from what works, what doesn't work. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, um, I have, I have uh, a history of having good, constructive debates with people from even inside the hunting uh, community about sustainable utilization. I'm not just talking off my hat and just going crazy. I mean, there's this kind of uh, attitude from, from some of those quarters. They sort of think of people like us or, you know, as they would call us, uh, woolly mouth, uh, woolly brained loud mouths, or knit your own muesli and save the gay whales brigade, or any other kind of derogatory kind of classification because it makes them feel uncomfortable. But uh, you know, I actually know what the hell I'm talking about because I'm not actually some foreigner who's not lived there. I am from there, right. and I just see things differently. And it's also important to point out that there are a, a big number of Zimbabweans who do not support the hunting perspective or this program of sustainable utilization which has failed. There are some who do, and I can go into the reason why they support it, and it's logical and economically based, absolutely. There is a point in this that they've got points. But uh, to assume that all Zimbabweans are just all happy to have elephants killed and all this is a complete load of BS. That's well, not how we look at it. Well, we're, we're, when we're talking about this on the international um, platform, so to speak, we're forgetting that a lot of the native, and I don't mean that in, in, a, um, in, a, in a sorry hmm. sense, the locals who live on the ground, deep poverty, who have no say in what, what hmm. we're going to get into, corruption and what government is doing, because obviously in Zimbabwe they are not being represented, that there is a huge, let's call it 95% of the voice that's missing in this argument, which is what we talk Absolutely. about back and forth on our Facebook pages. So yep. let's back up just a little bit. Why don't you tell us what's happened? 
with these 24 elephants. The last time we talked about this truly on the on this program, Our Wild World, was um, late last year with Joyce Poole, and the baby elephants had just been taken from the wild. So it was imminent then that they were going to be sold to China. There's been a, a tweet storm, a Facebook storm. You have, have been involved along with colleagues to stop this. So now here we are, what, seven, eight months later, these baby elephants have been sequestered in Huangi National Park under almost armed guard, and now it finally happened. They were shipped off to China along with some lions. Tell us, let's, let's start here, what happened, and then let's move into this sustainable utilization and the definition by the Zimbabwean government compared to the Zimbabwean people and why this is just not right anymore today. Sure. No matter which way you look at it, it's just yeah. not right. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, it, yes, we, the information about this latest game capture for export, wildlife export, came to light towards the end of last year. And um, I, I personally, I love Wangi. I have my own favorite spots there. I've, I've guided through the place. You know, I don't need to sort of uh, think to myself, I don't understand the thing. Um, and I'm very familiar with these uh, arguments ongoing that have been going on for nearly two decades now with the inability to actually even provide an accurate number of the elephants in Wangi and yet decisions are still made to, uh, to, to, to cull them or whatever else. It has a sad history of conservation abuse um, dating back to the days of Alan Savory and his cronies working in Zimbabwean National Parks who were doing their best. They believed they were doing the best that they could. And uh, on the grounds of Alan Savory's um, uh, sort of study of the problem, they determined that uh, Wangi was under a process of desertification, that the elephants were wrecking the place, so therefore they had to uh, cull. Um, the, he actually has consequently... Uh, publicly stated that it was a mistake, that he made a terrible error. Oops, 40,000 head of elephant killed. You're well, right, and I would like our listeners to be highly aware of this fact. They can keyword search Alan Savory, and you can read his basic public apology to the world that he yeah. was wrong. Absolutely, and you know what? I've actually talked to uh, I talked to one of the professional hunters who participated in that um, uh, elephant culling program, and about this, in fact, and it was after Ted, uh, the TED talk that Alan Savory had made. And, um, and I said to him, are you aware that Alan Savory has now since then said he made a blunder? And he was genuinely pissed off because, you know, he, was, he and a bunch of other professional hunters all participated in that grotesque action under the assumption that it was absolutely necessary. It wasn't. It turned out to be a complete fault. And what you have in Wangi is because it is effectively an artificially constructed or, or manipulated park by virtue of the fact that it has these water holes which are pumped. The water holes are pumped in order to encourage the game to stay there because of preconceived notions which go back to the Rhodesian era of wanting to, to have the game in Wangi. And not just for the photographic safaris, because outlining Wangi are the hunting concessions. And what you want to do when you want to have a hunting concession is you want to encourage the natural migration of animals to come down to your place to drink water and everything else so that you can go along and then shoot them at your, at your leisure. Um, so... Well, it's almost, let me just jump in here a second. It's almost inherent in the term calling it game. These are all animals. We have constructed this, um, 
I, I can't think of the word right now. We've constructed the system by calling it game so that we can off take it for our purposes. Look, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's very easy to sort of go into, and I think it's, it's worth exploring because it's connected. Everything is connected to this issue about how we've, uh, as, a, as, a, as a humanity, civilization of the planet, has uh, gone down this road of commodification, commodifying all of its environment, and it has massive repercussions and failures. And now I think we are seeing this around the planet. Um, I should add that uh, in a, I, I, I now consider myself to be, in some sense, uh, a proponent of deep ecology, most of it, of the philosophy of deep ecology and interconnectedness and all that kind of thing, um, only further to actually researching this on behalf of Solaris Entertainment, and uh, who I advise um, from time to time about proposed filming projects in Africa. And, um, and in fact, it was as a result of those connections that at the end of last year, I actually got hold of those guys and I said, look, this disaster is happening. The official reason that is being provided by Zimbabwe is that Wangi National Park is uh, getting destroyed by elephants. There's too many elephants and uh, they have no money and we need to have money in order to keep the park running. And it was this long list of ridiculous excuses um, which they offered to try Which is and- what you right in this post which once again I want our listeners to go to Nick Lynch's Facebook page and read this post because it's 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 the voice of sanity and a voice of reason so you just well, talked about how we humans you know, have ordered the world to our desires of yeah. what we well, can take and it's just, and this is the thing is that's that's the truth of what we've done and that's why it's very difficult because on one hand I know that there'll be lots from the hunting community back in Zim and and around who will be absolutely fuming at at the stuff that I've said uh, but there will also be ones who will sort of go hang on he's got some kind of point and the Wangi Wangi's history is very simply this the waterholes were put into place they're artificially pumped in order to encourage the game to stay there. The reason the place is degraded environmentally is because they don't switch off the water pumps. And if you, if you have the place as a normal, a normal migratory place where animals come during the rainy season and then migrate again out of the area during the dry season, going up towards the river systems and that going in the, into the northwest, they sort of come back and forth naturally in and out of the area. Uh, what they tried to do was to, to have it for hunting especially, is to, to contain the animals. And then it's this idea of ownership. Those are our elephants. Those are our lions. Even though... Uh, traditionally, all of these animals would migrate in some way or another. To, 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 to clarify, when they're doing this migration, it's not as if like the Great Plains of up north where all the elephants go at the same time. and It's not like that. Uh, they sort of, it's a sort of like a, it's a, a kind of migratory process. You will always find some animals, even, if, even in the dry season, you know, naturally occurring. But if you have the waterholes there all the time, all the animals there the whole time because they're encouraged to stay there. In the old days... The Rhodesians actually put a giant fence between um, Botswana and Rhodesia uh, for security purposes as well, but also to to keep their elephants on this side of the fence, primarily though for security reasons because the the country was in a state of war. Um, Now the fence is gone. Really what should happen is that we should switch off the boreholes, allow the elephants in all game to run naturally to find its route and course, and allow the bush to recover and sustain itself as God wants it to be. Now, the or as deep ecology out, needs it to be. Absolutely. Whether you believe in God or creator yeah, or whatever your thing is, uh, nature yeah. works this way. That's the inherent That's meaning That's of migration. Yeah, it I, moves. I, it's, 
it's very easy to get very passionate about this this topic. One of the counter arguments uh, which I've which I've come across, and I've got to tell you this because it is absolutely astounding bullshit, was that um, you can't actually do the system of switching off the boreholes because it hasn't been correctly experimented with yet. But you shouldn't do it because the elephants have forgotten how to migrate. <laughs> no, uh, that's really, and this is from guys who really should know their stuff. Uh, no, the elephants have forgotten to migrate because the senior hierarchy of the herds and the matriarchs have more been shot out and they won't remember how to cross, they won't remember how to go and look for water. And then it'll be cruel because you'll have some elephants will die. Well, it's called natural selection, you dumbass. Talk about fact, manipulating to- terminology. Uh, I, I tell you what, it's amazing. I, if I actually encounter anybody who tells me that elephants have forgotten how to migrate, I'm, I'm just going to remind them, have you ever heard the term memory like an elephant? <laughs> Genetic memory. Familiar. They've lived for yeah. eons and millennia. What yeah, we've and created is an unnatural situation by killing right. them off and that's allowing right. young female yeah. elephants who yeah. are not old enough to breed. They don't know what's going on. This is yeah. a completely human manipulated situation. Absolutely. But they haven't forgotten. We've forgotten. And the primary background reason that that's going on is because the hunting fraternity who rely on it as an industry, rely on those elephants to shoot them and all the other game in the area, uh, you know, they they, they come up with all sorts of angles to try and obfuscate the reality. So to turn around and to actually seriously suggest that elephants have forgotten how to go and find their own way back to water, so we mustn't switch switch off the water holes, give that man a fat smack and tell him to shut up. Because so, that is just a lot of crap. All of this is has ended up in the reality of 24 yes. baby elephants in fact, there was more. being shipped there was off more. to China. And we all know what's yep. going on in China, making Look, inroads across Africa strictly uh, yeah. to strip it of resources. Well, yes. I, I, before, before I start trying, I'm not, I'm not going to try and demonize China so much. Uh, the, original, the original thing was uh, there were more than likely about 36-odd elephants. There there, no one really knows. I mean, J- Johnny Rodriguez is the right yeah. guy to give exact figures. Uh, there, were, there was at least three dozen elephants, uh, baby elephants, uh, sorry, subprime, as the idiots like to try and be, uh, recategorize it. Uh, the young elephants, the elephant children, as I like to call them, were physically abducted, forcibly, had gunfire, helicopters, and God knows what, to separate them. Terribly traumatic, an egregious act of animal cruelty. And then quarantine. Now, Zimbabwe has done many exports of elephants around the world before. It doesn't mean that it should continue, though, because now we should surely be saying to ourselves, wow, those were all mistakes and we shouldn't have done those either. Uh, so the way that we approach conservation and land management now really has to be re-looked at. It is a very big and difficult thing to do because it means that laws and management systems and an entire process would have to be tweaked and changed. And I don't, I don't, I don't like the idea of, of just hammering the guys and saying, oh, you're a bunch of bastards and you don't know what you're doing and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Let's work together. We completely understand that, in fact, the hunting community has... A, a wealth of knowledge and understanding how to uh, do conservation land management. Well, in, a, in a world today, we can't really afford wildlife-wise, time-wise, any, any way you look at it. We can't afford to vilify anybody. We need to find common ground. 
Because as you yes. just said, there is a wealth of knowledge in every camp, whatever camp, on whatever side of the fence Absolutely. you're in, we all have knowledge to share. So if we can find a common ground, oh, yeah. rather than point fingers and finger wag and yell and spew oh, yeah. and be in vitriol, yep. then Absolutely. when you get your back up against a wall, you're you're gonna put your hands, your dukes up and fight. So yeah. we've got to find yeah. a way to stop fighting and yep. start getting along. Yes. So that well, we all have you know, elephants we're, we're, in the future. I've got a friend of mine called uh, Sonia Clutie-Jones who, um, who does the blogging for Tonga Bizi, and she's very good. And she's, she has a very saying, she says, just follow the money. <laughs> and and all, of it, all of it comes down to this. It comes down to money. It's a business. And what the hunting fraternity will turn around and say, well, if we're not here doing this thing for hunting, then there's no one here to do it. And who is going to pay for the anti-poaching units? And who is going to pay for collecting the snares? And who is going to do this? And who is going to monitor? And it's a, it's a good argument. It's a sound argument. But, but then, then again, aren't there all the stuff. NGOs that have the same argument? This is what we're paying for. All these billions well, of actually, donor dollars going yeah. somewhere, and yet we're still losing 80, 90% of our, our yeah. I call it our, African wildlife, you know, despite um, UNEP, despite CITES, which we could um, get into, yeah, despite yeah. World Wildlife Fund, all the big NGOs, plus all the little NGOs, all the... Yeah grassroots movements we're talking mega millions of dollars but Absolutely. it's not changing because no, of this be, it's going this... to be very difficult to change uh, the other thing you've got to remember is that basically the the, the, the so-called uh, cream of the world as far as the the big money these are the guys who come out and do the hunting because hunting is a supposed sport of kings and uh, and so it's a it's a thing where the aristoc the aristocracy from America from Europe and everywhere else flies into Africa. They pay enormous sums of money to go off for to be able to murder sentient beings for fun. But that's just my propaganda angle. But that's what they do. And they come along, they pay the money, and that's how the environment is maintained by that money coming in. That's the reality. However, we also then have to look at each country and sort of turn around. In Zimbabwe's case, we're looking at one of the largest alluvial deposits of diamonds on the planet, the second biggest deposits of platinum in the world, uh, a static population of maybe 8 million people in Zimbabwe at any one point in time. There should be 14, but 8 million at best. So the place is actually drenched in money, but all of it is being looted. If you only took 1% of the monies earned from platinum, you, would, you could actually do away with trophy hunting altogether. But you would then create unemployment. Uh, you would also, the, the, the trophy hunters would be like, what the hell? Uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be very happy about it. But guys, things just have to change. We're also, I think, there's a bunch of reasons why things would have to change. And uh, I, I think that's an interesting thing to get into in a bit. But as far as this, this export goes, the elephants were, were captured, they were quarantined in preparation for the export. The Zimbabwean government did its best to obfuscate uh, where the elephants were going, how they were, what was happening, why they were doing it. Uh, in fact, it, uh, it didn't so, aid. So why the were they hiding all of this? I mean, if you go to the net, excuse me, the web, and you research this, and you go to various Facebook pages that are making all of this very transparent, what is the point of the Zimbabwean government continuing this charade? The, the, I think you have to try um, with a bit of difficulty to understand what was the primary objective for the action in the first place. Okay, and as what far was as, that? 
As far as I am concerned, the primary objective was a retaliation against the U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Services for placing a trophy hunting ban on Zimbabwe. The reason they had done that back in, I think it was 2014, the reason they had done that, according to U.S. Fisheries, was that they were not uh, satisfied um, of the conservation land management practices in Zimbabwe specific to elephant, and uh, as a result, will, would not issue permit for American hunters to be able to bring back with them their elephant trophies. That made it uh, unattractive for an American hunter to go over to Zimbabwe and kill an elephant and just leave it there. He could do so if he wanted to, but he wouldn't have been able to actually import his trophy later. Uh, this meant that approximately 200 uh, elephants from, from America, uh, from the Americans, on average would want to shoot about 200 odd elephant a year there. Um, that money would now not be coming to Zimbabwe. Uh, the, the government then said, wow, this is just another type of sanctions. And in fact, the minister, Xavier Kasakaweri, uh, kept on referring to the U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Service Trophy Ban as a sanction, which, of course, it is not. What he is making is uh, he's making a connection there to the fact that there still is a couple of hundred of Mugabe's closest uh, cronies, uh, including Mr. Kasakaweri, uh, under international sanctions and uh, travel embargoes. And, uh, and the elephants as well, you see this money that comes in, these concessions have in some way or another connection to those cronies inside the government. Um, so in many cases, they will actually own the concessions and they, they want their money. They want their money. So now the money's not coming through. And that's quite a damning thing because the money should be going to the state, not to some kind of individual pocketing, I'm selling my elephants off one at a time, they're not even your elephants, but the money... Uh, story was enough for Zimbabwe to turn around and say this is just an extension of the uh, the, the trophy hunting man is just an extension of ongoing sable rattling between the West and Zimbabwe, and therefore they hatched this grand plan to uh, to now justify well we have to make the difference up somehow let's steal the baby elephants and teach teach everyone a lesson. They knew they absolutely knew that conservation groups and people would be outraged about it. And I think it was deliberately worked this way so that conservation groups would then be knocking and hammering down on the door at U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Service, like we did, uh, the, the group that we then consequently formed, uh, Wangi Conservation Consortium, and, and you know, harangued uh, the U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Service and say, please, can we not find some other possible way to get out of this tragic situation? U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Service got sick and tired of this eventually. <laughs> um, but Which is I unfortunate. Think, well, because yeah, this the, is an argument position, that needed to be heard. So shutting position. the door on both sides of the pond, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Look, um, their position as far they they probably unlikely to uh, to repeat it in the way that I'm going to repeat, to say it to you here. Their position was that basically they're not really seriously interested in Zimbabwe until there's a change of government. Uh, and whatever noise that the Zimbabweans make is just a load of bullshit. They can't uh, be dealing with it any longer. And that's it. So uh, we actually, I mean, I, I actually went to the point where I, I actually approached, uh, uh, I, I approached your government and specifically wanted to find out if they would be able to temporarily lift the travel ban on Xavier Kasakureri in order to uh, enable him and uh, the tourism minister, Walton Zimbi, to fly to the United States and to discuss it directly with the U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Service to find some kind of out of the problem. Uh, we did everything possible, but really what was going on is that this, the primary objective 
was to retaliate against U.S. Fisheries Wildlife Service. Secondly, to try and get money and to also uh, cuddle up to the to the Chinese. So, okay. it was, well, so that's what it is. All right. So we have to cut away to a break. This is a fascinating conversation. Listeners, stick with us. Nick, hold that thought, and we'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Adoption changes a family forever, for the adopters as well as the adoptees. There are many adjustments that need to be made, from lifestyle to financial, and the personal rewards are unlimited. Listen every week for Your Adoption Coach with Kelly Ellison. We will examine in detail such topics as international and domestic adoption. We will talk with adoption professionals and hear stories about real families adopting. If you've been thinking about adoption or recently began the process... You'll want to tune in to be inspired every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety, with a weekly replay on Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. We had to stop in the middle of a rather intense conversation. So, Nick, you've been telling us, um, for the listeners that are just joining us now, um, about this debacle of the 24 elephants being kidnapped. They've now been shipped to China. And you've been telling us this tit-for-tat game-playing on political and corruption levels by U.S. Fish and Wildlife and the Zimbabwean government saying, oh, poor me, and in the end... You just said U.S. Fish and Wildlife wants to make Zimbabwe change their government. So in the end, 24 elephants out of a proposed 200 have to pay the price. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, that it was um, something that uh, everyone, I mean, the, the, uh, the outcry from this thing has been huge. And that in itself is one of the motivations uh, behind why we formed the Wangi Conservation Consortium. Uh, we, we were a consortium because we initially had uh, the support of major safari tourism, photographic safari tourism operators in Zimbabwe. And, um, and, uh, and a, a friend of mine in the States, uh, Phyllis Stewart, uh, who is a producer involved in the entertainment industry, and she has been um, putting together her own uh, elephant uh, um, documentary Elephant Days program for for about a year and a half. Uh, she was also she's very very passionate about trying to save elephants. So what we had was uh, this nucleus of uh, of intent was between Phyllis Stewart in the United States, myself here in Australia at the moment, and uh, in Zimbabwe on the ground, a uh, very courageous woman called Sharon Stead who uh, owns the, a great safari company called the Amalinda Collection, everybody said, well, you know, apart from it being wrong, this thing is going to create such negative international perception damage to Zimbabwe that it's going to be detrimental to the tourism industry in one way or the other. And in fact, that was also something that was agreed upon by other major tourism players, including Ross Kennedy, one of the biggest guys in tourism in Zimbabwe. He agreed as well. He says, this... Uh, this elephant export thing is a complete fucking mess. And that is what it is for the industry. And it will be. And it will continue to be. However, because it had to carry on, uh, because now they were committed to c- cuddling up to the Chinese and they were not going to stop. And, and that whole concept of saving face? Oh, and, and, and Zimbabwe has no one else to turn to as far as its major economic uh, friend goes in the world. They've been looking at this look east policy now for the last... Uh, at least 10 or more years because they've been you know, demonized by the West. And uh, so they, that was the way they go. Mugabe just says, well, we look at East. The Chinese are our friends. If some crazy company in China wants to buy 200 elephants to start an ivory farm, that's okay. Let's do it. Wangi's got elephants. Give them the elephants. And that's what, what went down. Whilst this was going on, I should explain, Xavier Casagueri is actually a very clever guy. He has a very mixed reputation in Zimbabwe, but he's a very, very clever guy. I know people who know him personally. Um, he, it, 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 I would say that for he, it looked like he was playing a bit like, you know when you play fantasy football? You mm-hmm. try and pick who's going to win what? Casagueri was playing fantasy ransom. And he was basically trying to see how much money he could try and get these various uh, groups to, to counter offer. 
Because you actually put before. together, and this once again is in the post that you posted on Facebook, and which I've shared through Our Wild World and Wild Eyes Foundation and my own page on Facebook, that um, I just lost my track. You were saying, so this is what you'd said, that a whole lot of money was offered to purchase these elephants in, in mm. lieu of exporting them. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a couple of offers made up. In fact, David Seldrick uh, Foundation has also recently posted that they did the same. They made an offer. Uh, I, I'm not going to name names or whatever, but I, uh, definitely there was at least three separate counter-proposals with money involved to get out of the situation. So the initial front that was offered by the Zimbabwean government is that we're undertaking this terrible action in order to fund Wangi and blah, blah, blah. Well, if that was the case, why are you not taking the money from these three different groups prepared to pay for it? And uh, the reason is because they were committed to doing this Chinese cuddling and uh, and because that was it. And, so, that's, and that's where we are now. So are you willing to get into this? Why was that commitment more important than the elephants. Yeah. No, but, but China, China is uh, as far as as far as the without corners. vilifying China, we're not pointing no. fingers. There are no, 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 no. key no. players involved here that have deep ties to various other um, animal-oriented industries, and you yeah. can find out more about this on Facebook and on the web. So, why did that commitment to the, these particular people? Um, which you can't, they are named elsewhere. We're not going to name them here. Uh, Why did that put, become more important than Zimbabwe's face to the world? Z- Zimbabwe is currently experiencing its worst economic climate ever. It is in a worse economic condition today than it was at the height of the, the worst hyperinflation that it experienced towards the end of 2008. At but the if moment, that's the case, and, and Zimbabwe has millions, as you'd said before and as you write about, and, you know, from platinum or all, all the other resources, and it's got millions and billions coming in from NGOs and everything, all sides, then how, how is it in the worst, ec- help us understand how it's in the worst <laughs> economic position ever if there is all this money involved? Look, that the country has natural mineral wealth and that it is currently uh, being worked is undeniable. You know, we've got big platinum miners in Zimbabwe already working, and uh, and there's diamonds being ripped from the ground in Marangi and flowing up to China on bulk on a weekly basis. So the, the money is there, but unfortunately, uh, there's a double economy in, at play here. Uh, the Mugabe government feeling very cornered, and uh, and it has been for you know since the since ninety seven ninety eight. Um, it has uh, effectively designed a separate double economy. And that's why it's not just me saying this. You, you know, the, the, the previous opposition, which was uh, in a joint government with them, the Movement for Democratic Change, uh, the, the finance guy uh, from them, uh, Tendai Viti, actually said, you know, I'm still waiting to find out where all the diamond money is coming from. Guys, where is it? You know, you guys are operating diamond mines up there in Morangi and we're not seeing the I've received a pittance in the coffers. How come? So there's a disparity. And effectively what Tendai Beatty said uh, was that we're running a parallel economy within the within the country. That parallel economy is used by Mugabe's government to fund its ability to maintain control of the country. It so, is effectively so what are the, what hijacked are the, two the country. Parallel tracks, the government and who? You've got you've got the official economy of the country. 
which is you know guys running shops and everything else, paying taxes and what have you. And then you've got the uh, Zimbabwean government, which is taking that tax money and buying shiny suits and uh, fancy Mercedes Benzes and not actually really plowing it back into the community at all. One of the most neglected uh, African communities in sub-Saharan Africa as a result, people are literally in dire straits with no food and living in terrible conditions in, in various areas of Zimbabwe. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's Darfur, please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that sort of thing. Well, but there's it is deep poverty, deep, deep yeah. poverty, Absolutely. deep inequality, deep... Absolutely, absolutely. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, no one wants to actually come out and just say it, you know, but the, the, the truth is that Zimbabwe, it's not, a, it's not a secret. I mean, the people in Zimbabwe, they definitely don't want anyone making any mention or highlighting the fact that this terrible government is there and blah, blah, blah. We just want to get on and live and make our businesses run and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but hang on a second. This is just nonsense. We can't, I mean, you can turn a blind eye up to a certain point. I certainly probably would have as well. Up until the point when you start abducting baby elephants and stealing the animals out of the bush to fund bullshit. Now so, I get out. Will these two parallel tracks ever come together where the, yeah, they where the deep poverty, the people, the people who just want to get on with their lives and have a yep. business but are being raped, so to speak, economically yeah. by their tax money and this cooking of the books of an international scale and the corrupted scale mm. and, you know, buying Mercedes and not being able to buy food. Will these two tracks ever to come together where people like you yes. and your average everyday Zimbabwean start speaking up and saying, oh, yeah. hang well, so on, been, this can't uh, go been, on? We've been speaking up for years. Uh, there's loads of Zimbabweans who have been speaking up for years. Will it eventually change? Yes, it's, it's, it's the rule of the gun. As long as Robert Mugabe and ZANU-PF's hierarchy controlled the armed forces and the security services of the country, the country is effectively hijacked to a, co a corrupt criminal system, and it will never be able to function in a true normal sense, certainly not in any kind of westernized idea of normalcy. And so what we have to have is a complete shift. And it's already happening. It's nothing to do with the elephants. I mean, you know, this is just, the elephants is just one of a dozen, at least, uh, big story issues that are constant. No, there's, there, there's scandals going on all the time. There, in Zimbabwe at the moment, there's at least a dozen scandals going on at any point in time to do with corruption, to do with this, to do with that, because it is a kleptocracy. And because Mugabe has, has um, cultivated a system of patronage, because that's how he, 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 he tried to c create an establishment to run the, the country, um, you know, there we are. Here we, that's the way it is. So, but it in itself is going to change. You know, mo there are guys even from within ZANU-PF recently, and Mugabe's own party has had major splits. This is probably the closest time now to... Uh, it all falling uh, apart. Well, yeah, you know, what really might... It's, difficult, it's very dangerous to crystal ball and to say things, but uh, ostensibly... ZANU-PF is, is looking for a way to reconstitute itself, to become a, a meaningful political system again, really. And, uh, and that is now more than likely going to happen because uh, at the end of last year, Mugabe fired uh, his vice president, one of his vice presidents, Joyce, Amai Joyce Mujuru, uh, who is the widow of the assassinated uh, Major Solomon Mujuru, retired um, he can a, fire a, a vice president? 
Well, no, you can't. But Mugabe can, of course, and and uh, and his party would because they're they're worried. Mugabe is very old, and it's not just Mugabe. Yeah, he's Mugabe, ninety, ninety-one. He's very a very old man. Yeah, he's a very old man. He's not. He's not. Uh, you know, he's not dull to what's going on. I mean, he's a very sharp so guy. So it's not really just about him. It's about his deep no. cronyism. And well, this, you know, what you do you know, have politics to do? of the stomach and voting loyalty uh, and ending up with nothing. The guys, the guys are terrified about losing control of the country because they fear retribution. That's the problem here. Okay. And what we have to do is take away that fear and to arrange amnesty in some way in order for the thing to move, move forward. Accompanying Robert Mugabe is the Joint Operations Command. These are the heads of the army and the police and the security services. And they have really been managing the system for the general manager, Mr. Mugabe. And that's how it's been running. And these guys have been doing their best to try and make sure that they don't lose control of power. They fear the retribution. They fear all the problems. Been, there's a lot of big mistakes that they made over the years, including genocide. And stuff like that, which would take them to the International Criminal Court and put them into jail and all this sort of stuff. They don't want to go down that route. But and in as a way, as- hang on a second. In a way, with bringing this back to the elephants for a second, yep. the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, by saying, okay, tit for tat, we want you to change your government so we're going to let these elephants pay the price because you're not, we played right in to the hands. Well, to, to be accurate... The U.S. Fishery and Wildlife Service uh, is, is not in the business of regime-changing agendas. Right. Uh, that's, that's not, not their, their job. Uh, but would the West, more generically, uh, prefer to see uh, a reconstituting uh, effort? Of course, absolutely. I mean, there's, it's, not, it's not hard to figure it out. You know, both Britain and the United States are sick and tired of having to, to deal with this nonsense in sub-Saharan Africa because it causes international security risks and pressures. Uh, so everyone wants the thing to stabilize and to just you know be normal. And certainly all Zimbabweans want the same as well. Look, we have between 30 to 40% of Zimbabwe doesn't, know, doesn't live in Zimbabwe anymore. We would like to. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's I can't something you said, indictment. that Zimbabwe has the, what, 30 plus percent is an internationalized population and tongue-in-cheek, oh, what a success story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's actually very difficult to, to give you an accurate figure on it because no one actually knows the exact population of Zimbabwe. The, the census has always been manipulated by the Zimbabwean government because those census were used for, uh, for Tax fiddling. Purposes. No, 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 for fiddling the election rolls. Oh. Uh, so, you know, whenever we've had elections, we normally have two or three million dead people Uh, on the election roll who suddenly have come up to vote. And so no one actually knows exactly how many Zimbabweans really exist. But the the rough estimate that a lot of people accept, and certainly from my perspective, and I'm talking from a a banking perspective, an international banking perspective, um, uh, it should be at around 14 million people. However, uh, considering that there are three and a half million Zimbabweans living illegally in South Africa and at least another three odd million around the world, chances are that the figure of displaced Zimbabweans is approximately between 30 and as much as 42% of the country no longer living in Zimbabwe. I I don't know what more of an indictment you need to understand that the country is in dire straits and has big problems. So where where are these displaced Zimbabweans today? Where is their voice? 
I mean, there's well, you, but right. I mean, there's lots of there are voices out there. I mean, the guys are you know they all they still have we still have family in Zimbabwe. Everyone's got that there, but everyone is terrified about making too much of a noise because if you start making too much of a noise, then your relatives in Zimbabwe get hammered. That's this how sounds it like works. Kenya during the days of uh, of Moy. Oh, oh, we make we make Moy look like a bloody amateur. <laughs> the you know, and, you know we, we do need to just highlight here that this, you know, what's going on in Zimbabwe is horrendous. I mean, and it's coming to the world stage and it's got to shift. And it's it's not peanuts anymore. The Africa shifted. problem is not an African problem anymore. It's a global problem. And it's not Zimbabwe alone that is you know, deep and steeped in corruption. It's happening across Africa oh, and it has correct. deep ties economically to Asia without yeah. pointing fingers at good Chinese yeah. people that are trying yeah. that are also fighting against this importation or this cool. exportation. Yeah. Um so it it's not strictly a Zimbabwean problem but this is really this crisis with the elephants and selling off wildlife. Okay, some people say, "All right, they weren't killed, they weren't culled, they're still yeah. alive." But let's look at this We've done a lot of episodes on captivity and covering over many episodes of this program, highlighting this issue that in in the end, we've got to change who we are as people. Absolutely. Look, I think what it is, is the <laughs> Africa, the whole thing is, a, is obviously a big complicated topic. Um, the elephants, I would say in some sense, are emblematic of the problems at hand at large in Zimbabwe. And I think this is actually a possibility for uh, the new opposition that is emerging in Zimbabwe, uh, the, 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 the fired uh, vice president, Amai Joyce Mujuru, uh, is actually uh, formulating uh, sort of rudimentary opposition movement stuff going on at the moment, her and, and other senior founding members of the party who have also been um, expelled uh, illegitimately, they now... Uh, saying, hang on a second, this system isn't working, or even, you know, it's just, it isn't happening. So eventually, the political thing will work. But if you simply look at the elephants, as opposed to getting, because you can, it's easy to get sidetracked with all the little things about who stole money from this company and that company and this, all the, co all the corruption thing going on. The elephant thing is actually quite simple. First of all, why are you doing it? Why do we not know exactly how many elephants are in Wangi? There are guys who are, who are making a more accurate count of it today than ever before, I should, I should say. And it's, it's not, not that difficult to count elephants, unlike well, no, you, trying no, no, to count no, lions. No, no, no. In fact, lion, you, funny enough, it's actually very difficult to count the elephants. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major technical achievement and a problem. Um, but, but it can be done. It has been done. Oh, it can, it can be done. And as technology improves, it will become easier and easier to do. Right. Um, and so when it becomes easier to do, though, what you do is you take the power away from the authorities to be able to obfuscate the numbers of elephants, which they need in order to justify their ability to, to kill them, sell them, and do all that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, the actual population of elephants in Zimbabwe, in Zimbabwe, God knows what it is. In Wangi, who the heck really knows? It's probably 20,000, 25,000, I've heard. Um, but then you'll hear the Zimbabwean government turn around and say, no, there's about 65,000 elephants in Wangi, which is crap. Uh, so, uh, you know, it depends on how your counting systems are in place. It, it has to, all of that stuff has to, has to be now looked at and say, 
Why did this elephant export happen? I actually personally now would prefer it to actually, this, I think it's a legitimate topic that needs to be brought into the public to the domain for a full, complete inquiry by the Zimbabwean government and the opposition groups there to turn around and say, hang on a moment. Who thought that this was a clever idea? Because the, the, the problem that you've actually created now, the international perception damage to the country, which was already extremely tarnished, is absolutely terrible. Because people around the world are simply going to say, it's innocent elephants. Why do you now have to ruin the innocent elephants' lives? And now all of the attention is like, oh my God, you guys are also killing them for fun. So what they've done, it's actually in a weird way, it's a blessing for conservation that this heinous act has happened because all of the attention now is now focused on everything to do with hunting, everything to do with, with sustainable utilization, everything to do with corruption. How are you guys doing it? Well done. Well done, Mr. Kasavia Kasakuri, for putting this one into place. This has to be one of the final nails in the coffin as far as what, what's gone on in Zimbabwe because it's just such a ridiculous topic. Not saying that there aren't other important topics going on because let me tell you what, we've got people being disappeared, we have people being harassed, we have uh, government intimidation. Here's my, my point on this and is this. I, uh, Sharon Stead, who had to back off from, from her campaigning in Zimbabwe, because her, her properties were actually visited by people from the president's office and all read the Central Intelligence Organization, said, oh my God, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. Well, why is the Central Intelligence Organization, who should be looking at spy stuff, harassing somebody about their passion for elephants? Get real. So this you, is not So this a, really is the tipping point and a beginning point, point for a paradigm shift that to be a platform for the Zimbabwean I um, think so. opposition I think to run on. In some, in some ways, in some ways, yes, because it's not just, it's not just us. I mean, everyone in Zimbabwe uh, who stands up against the government in any way ends up being squashed. My thing is this, you see, I, I can understand it's not acceptable, but I can understand if you are going to be on the receiving end of intimidation and, and victimization or investigations by the security apparatus if you are involved in politics directly. For instance, you are funding and supporting some sort of opposition movement, then the spy agency is going to come and give you a hard time. I, I understand that because that would actually happen in America, that would happen in Europe, that would happen anywhere in the world. But That's here's an opportunity to take it away from individuals, well, from people, and put well, it on to, quote-unquote, finger quotes, something other, elephants. Well, okay. yeah? it's, not, it's, not, it's not that... I'm, I, I must make myself clear because it's not that any intimidation is good at all. I think it is not. But you can understand a security apparatus of a country Absolutely. Of paying, paying attention to political machinations. Now, when we talk about elephants, this is not a member of the opposition. This is an elephant. And if I say, I don't like you killing this elephant, then what the hell right has the government got to turn around and start sending its spies to come and harass people. And it's not, it's not just us. I mean, recently, we've got this case of, of Rory Young, a great Zimbabwean who was back there training anti-poaching units, putting his life on the line and doing his best to try and conserve uh, the dwindling stocks of wildlife in Matusadona in that country. And the, he's getting harassed by 
so-called intelligentsia underlings who are basically obfuscating any chance for normal investigation and policing of the area. This is heinous. We're not talking about people, you know, training up armed rebels to overthrow the government. We're talking about a guy who's there training anti-poaching people with the Zimbabwean Republic Police. The, Repub the actual police officers are not able to do their job without being harangued by their own intelligence agents. So That's what we have amazing. here is the crystallizing of everything of, of our passion, conservation, wildlife, resources, the tipping point of the world, that this export is can create a platform that elephants mm. are now highly in the spotlight and shining a light on that this can no longer happen. We, we're out of time today. Nick, do you want to sure. uh, continue on and we can do yeah, another sure. another program? Yeah, sure thing. Okay, so at the moment, folks, listeners, stay tuned because we're going to pick this up next week, but we're out of time today. So, Nick, hang in there. I'm going to call you back, and we're going to pick this up. So that's it for today, but don't go away because we'll be right back next week. Stay tuned. This is a cliffhanger. This is Ellie Weiss. Nick, thank you. Thank you very much. And we'll be back, so stick with us next week. And that's it for today, Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 